Runner took off to steal. I come up to fire the ball to second base right off the head of Randy Johnson. Wow. The ball ends up at the feet of our right fielder. He goes down like a ton of bricks, and I thought my career was over before I was even starting. <laughs> you watched them. You cheered for them. Maybe you booed them. You listened to them. You were impressed by them. Today, they share their favorite memories with you. It's the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's your host, Mike Yam. As we've mentioned before, this podcast is is all about stories, and it's it's a, in a lot of ways a small world. I, I live in San Francisco. I'm in the car. I'm driving one morning uh, just to grab some breakfast, and I'm I'm listening to sports talk radio here in the Bay Area. And the A's happen to be um, out of the country, matching up against the the Blue Jays. And Joe Sidall, who is the uh, radio analyst for the Toronto Blue Jays, is doing an interview, and he's talking about his story of of how he got into broadcasting, which to me is just fascinating because obviously being in this industry. I get phone calls from people on how to break in. And his story is so unique where he was able to find, um, I think, a sense of of relief out of really an awful, awful tragedy. And Joe, really appreciate you stopping by with us. So shed some light on how you even break into the broadcast booth. Well, yeah, it's very interesting you say that, Mike. So many people are looking for so many ways. How do you do it? And for me, it was kind of an accident. And you mentioned the tragedy. My wife and I have four children and we lost our youngest son, Kevin. He was 14 years old, diagnosed with lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. At first, it seemed like it was going to be a treatable and possibly curable disease, but things went sideways in a hurry, and uh, six months later, we lost him. It was very aggressive. And uh, from that, I was working at the time. I played in the minor leagues and major leagues for 13 seasons, and when I finished playing, I live in Windsor, Ontario. It's right across from Detroit, Canada-U.S. border. I actually played for the Tigers in 98, and I... A couple of years later, I started working with the Tigers, just helping them out with batting practice at home. The reason I retired from playing was to be home more. My wife and I had four children, and it was about that time to call it quits. So I'd been just helping the Tigers with batting practice, and I would go over and help them in the afternoon. And before the game started, I'd actually head back home because I was coaching my kids' team. So I was really doing the stay-home dad thing for the most part, and, and life was very, very good. And when we lost our son... It was at the time I was still working with the Tigers. And Jerry Howarth, who was the voice of the radio broadcast for the Toronto Blue Jays for 30 years now, he had reached out to one of the writers in Toronto because I think something was in the paper. And I had met Jerry only a few times. I would see him on the field at Comerica Park when he came. And I didn't really know him. I just knew him to say hello. And he knew who I was as a Canadian who had played in the big leagues. So it was just a cordial hello on the field. Nothing, not like a friendship per se or anything. And I get an email from him, and this is a week after the funeral. And, he, you know, he's just expressing his condolences. And in doing so, he finished up and saying the thoughts and prayers are with you and your family and that we look forward to seeing you when the Blue Jays come to Detroit in June. So this was in February. And I just replied to him and said, thank you very much. It was very thoughtful. And same thing, look forward to seeing you in June as well. And at the end of my email, I put something along the lines of, or maybe in the broadcast booth one day. And I still to this day don't know why I included that last line in my email, but I got a reply in about two minutes right back from him. And it, the first line was, how about right now? <laughs> well, so now, and you oh. can imagine the fog that my wife and I are in and our family after what we had just gone through. And I looked at it, I remember being in my kitchen, and I said, I might have a job opportunity because the email continued to say that 
Jack Morris, who was his partner the previous year, had just stepped back. He was going back home to Minnesota to do some other broadcasting. And the job was opening up. They were looking at a couple of different possibilities, and they were still kind of in the hunt. And this is now getting probably in the first part of February, middle of February, spring trainings in a couple of weeks. And they said, it's kind of late in the process, but if you want, I can put your name to the program director. This is what Jerry told me in the email. So I just said, sure. What the heck? I didn't think anything would come of it. Well, it's a real long story, but as it turns out, they fly me down to Florida. I do a couple of spring training games, and they offer me the job. Wow. I, that is, <laughs> I, it's, it's, you know, I used to have a, an old mentor of mine who used to say, you never know. And you your story know. is, is, is sort of in a lot of ways that way, but take me back. So you're in your kitchen, you get this email from, from Jerry. What are the emotions? Cause I got to think it's a roller coaster. You're probably still wiping tears and your wife's probably distraught as well. I mean, to try to, to see an email like that, just a sense of relief for probably what 30 seconds as you're reading it and trying to digest it. It wasn't even relief. It was just so odd. And and when I read it and got that, um, in my head, I'm thinking, how am I going to move forward? I coached my high school team. Uh, my son was going to be a freshman ninth grader that coming season. And so you can imagine with him gone now, what do I do? Am I going to still coach this high school team that he's supposed to be on or his team of 14-year-olds? coming up in the spring. It was just, I was, I don't know what I was going to do, to be honest with you. I still to this day don't know. I'm sure I would have just had to deal with things as they come. But I, uh, I guess in a sense, yeah, it was probably a, a relief for me and maybe something that saved me from our tragedy. And, and I mean, again, we, we have a different perspective. Of course, we have a very close family. Our kids are all very close as well as my wife and I with them. I mean, we had one of those families where, you know, you hate to say it, but it was just, everything was perfect. Life was perfect. It was great. We were very fortunate. And then to be struck with this tragedy, it just yeah really put things in perspective, how you just never know. But the way things transpired, as I said, when Jerry first reached out to me with that email, there was numerous emails and phone calls with the program director back and forth and back and forth before they finally asked if I, I could get down to Florida to do some games just as a kind of a trial. So it was a, it was a long process, although it didn't take very long. It was just a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls. Yeah. And yeah, the emotions were really mixed. But I remember looking at my wife, too. And she said, like, go for it. Like, what the heck? You know, and you just have really a different perspective on life now. And I was planning on seeing our youngest son through high school and into college. He was our youngest of four. So then they would have all been gone off to college. And, of course, that frees up our time. And I was looking to do something in baseball. Eventually, I'd worked with the Tigers for almost 12 years. And I was pretty close with Dave Dombrowski at the time, who was the general manager there in president. And I just thought, you know, once I see our youngest off to college, perhaps – a minor league job of some sort or getting back into the game professionally. That's what my plan was eventually. Who knows what would have happened, but I would have never thought he was going to be in the broadcast booth. <laughs> is it, you know, it's, it's crazy to me because, you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing you and I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm trying to envision what that dynamic is like. You know, your son Kevin was, was 14 when he passed away. You mentioned the fact that he was going to be playing on that high school team. So I know he was a sports fan. And, um, you know, I have a lot of colleagues of mine who have, you know, young children. And I say, hey, do they get that you played in the bigs? And obviously, I'm, obviously Kevin really probably understood that and probably thought it was pretty cool. Being around the game at this point, is it still therapeutic for you? I think it is. It is. And I only say that because I don't know what I would have done if this didn't happen. I'm sure I would still be working for the Tigers and maybe I would have pursued an opportunity to work in baseball in, in a greater capacity because what I was doing over there was just very part time. I just went over and helped them for batting practice. But the reason I just did that is because I wanted to be home later in the evening to coach my kids teams. So who knows? I would have maybe pursued something along those lines. I just know it would have been very difficult to go back and coach those kids, that team that my son wasn't on. Um, I still 
when I do see his friends, it's, it's tough. It's very difficult. And I think it will be for many, many years to come. I mean, life is just not the same anymore. But one thing that my wife and I have tried to do very hard and as well as try to pass it on to our children is to move forward, is to continue to move forward. And part of that might be being distracted and thinking other places. And that's what you have to do. But really have to do what you have to do to get through things and each day and time does heal of course but uh, as I said I think the bottom line is life will never be the same for us and we know that though and uh, rather than sulk in that and 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 not be happy people we have to go back to the people that we were and I think uh, certainly Kevin would appreciate that too. Joe you mentioned having you know a newfound perspective through this are there things that are happening right now in your life or the last couple months, years, whatever the case may be, where you have altered your, – your thinking is, is altered enough where your actions are, are significantly different? You know what I think more than anything is um, my wife and I joke consistently how we're just kind of – anything goes now. <laughs> it's <laughs> like she's come – we've made it a point when I accepted this job that we weren't going to be apart for six months and I wasn't going to like – when I was playing back in the day and, uh, and being away for a long time. So we see each other every weekend. She's home Monday to Wednesday, Monday to Thursday, Thursday night. She's usually getting on a plane and coming to Toronto, which is just a short trip. Sometimes she can even drive it's a three and a half hour drive. So she'll come to Toronto every weekend that we're at home. And usually on the road, she gets on a plane and she was in Minneapolis last weekend and she was Tampa this year and she's been to Boston. So we've done that. So we really try to do the whole weekend thing and then especially enjoy the off season and, uh, you know, in baseball, you're basically going at it for seven months, including spring training. And we're down in Florida for spring training. We try to have fun with that. She comes down for almost the entire part of spring training. So we're trying to really have fun with it. That's what we're doing. And um, I think for the most part, we are. And we try to have our kids. We have two daughter, older daughters and then one son who I have. He's actually playing in the Midwest League with the A's, ironically. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to go see him um, next weekend to see him play. And I tried to work a couple of weekends like that into my contract so we could do that. So we're doing some off the wall things, but uh, it, it's what helps us. And I think more than anything as a family, we, we need to stay close knit because we always have been. And I don't think that's ever going to change. You know, is there also, you know, you mentioned that schedule and just sort of how demanding it is. Is that, is that sort of the toughest part of, of the job, just being on the road and being away? I think it is. Um, you know, as a player, you do it because you're chasing your dream. Now, as a broadcaster, it's 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 a different career. It's a lot of fun. I, I always we joke in this business. It's the best job in the world. Are you kidding me? We're we're sitting watching baseball every day and talking about it, and they're paying us for it. <laughs> but it really is. It's a, it's a great job in that regard. But in terms of family, I mean, I, as I said, uh, my wife and I have been very very close for many many years. Of course, been married just 27 years now, and. That's one thing. The distance is always the difficult thing. And that's why when I did come home from playing and I did stay home with the kids because they were still fairly young and and did the stay home dad thing, it was great. I mean, it worked perfectly for us. It was awesome. And now that the kids are a little bit older and they're kind of off on their own anyway, so it's not like we need to be around as much for them. So this job kind of works. And the only reason my wife is doing what she's doing is she has a job too that she's working. She likes to work part-time a few few days at home. So she does her little Monday to Wednesday thing and we meet up Thursday through Sunday most weekends. So it's great. And um, life does change when your kids get a little bit older. And for us, it just changed abruptly because we thought we had a few more years with our youngest at home with us. You know, it's funny because I saw a piece on your story that was that was online. I forget what network had it. And you and Jerry are, are in the broadcast booth and you're, you're talking about some of those experiences. And Jerry says, you know, at, at times you can kind of feel – uh, Kevin, your son's presence around. Are, are there a lot of those moments that, that still sort of stick out for you while you're just kind of in the flow of a game? 
There are a lot of moments, and, and I think the, the biggest reason why is I'm sure most people are aware that um, many different forms of cancer have symbolic colors that are associated with them. Well, for lymphoma, it's lime green. So as you can imagine, the color mm. lime green is very pre- prevalent in our lives now for our, all of us as family. And um, we all have our lime green bracelets. And uh, these are bracelets that some of his friends made up when he was first diagnosed. And, you know, it's just uh, you, we wear them. And he's with us every day, and it, it says no one fights alone hashtag FFK, which was fight for Kevin. So we all wear these bracelets. And I think when you wear a bracelet, there's a reason why you wear it. You're not necessarily advertising to everyone else to support lymphoma. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. But more importantly than anything, every time I I see my wrist, which is a gazillion times a day, (laughs) crosses your mind. And it's not like you need a reminder for him to cross your mind. Because as I said, and it sounds awful, but sometimes you you kind of want to forget and be distracted. And that's a wonderful thing. As I said, that's probably what this job has done, been the best therapeutic thing for me. But uh, yeah, to see that bracelet on my wrist uh, many times throughout the day, it's just that Nice little soft thought, and it kind of gives you that warm and fuzzy, and uh, you, you hope and, and think that he's close to you. Is it weird that I got a chill when you said that, that green? Because I'm trying to go through all the teams in the bigs, especially in the American League, and the only team I can think of right now that have green in their uniform are the A's. And that that's crazy? the team that was playing the Blue Jays when I heard your story on the radio here in the Bay Area. That's, and, how about this it, one? And, how, and how about this one? In addition to that, our son gets drafted by the Oakland A's. Isn't yeah, that crazy. Yeah, I mean, is that, and this is what I mean. There's been so many instances of this color, and I say lime green, but you know, the Oakland A's are green and the yellow, and all, but still, that that lime green or the, the green in general, it's it's really entered our lives in so many ways. And really ironic was that first year in '14, and I'm sure it's been around a little while, but I really noticed it that season at the major league level, and you probably know now too. You see a lot of this lime green in guys' shoes and their batting gloves. And I didn't yeah, even know what yeah. it was at first. It was really crazy. But um, the first year there, so that I was 14, that I was broadcasting, I remember when the Tigers came to Toronto. Of course, I worked in Detroit for so long. And what I did is I helped out with batting practice. So I'd throw BP and do a lot of work in the cage. Well, our uh, one of the bullpen coaches, one of the bullpen catchers, asked me for a bunch of bracelets. And actually, he didn't ask me. He did it behind my back. Asked my daughter, like, online through, like, Facebook or something. <laughs> he eventually gets a bunch of them. Well, would you believe when the Tigers come to Toronto for that first series, Miguel Cabrera and company are all wearing these lime green bracelets on their wrist. Wow. So you can imagine what went wow. through my body. It was spectacular. Oh, yeah. it, it really was. Because I'm not saying I was close to all of those players, but, you know, when you're working with them side by side every day, and I was there for an awful long time, oh, for sure. I became quite close. So that was pretty special. So there's many moments like that where people are very, very thoughtful. And uh, Yeah, well, you, know you mentioned it the – yeah. Because well, it does make you feel yeah. good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the A's, I mean, you mentioned yellow and that green. I mean, lime is sort of, if I'm not mistaken, kind of a com- com- combination of both of those colors. So when he, uh, got selected, when he got selected, we were in our family room one night. Our older son is Brett. When he got drafted, we were there on draft day, my wife and I, and, and he was in the family room and we were watching it online. And when we heard his name selected by the Oakland A's, it didn't sink in right away because we were just so yeah, excited yeah. and screaming and jumping up and down. But then we kind of sat back a few minutes later. It's like, are you kidding me? Is this really true? And this is where you, uh, I mean, you like to certainly believe in your faith and things, and, and perhaps that things are happening for a reason. Yeah. Uh, Joe, before we let you get running here, and, and I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. And, um, you know, I, it's an incredible story, at least in my mind. But, you know, we've had so many athletes come on the show and they, they talk about some of their experiences on the field, away from the field. And you have 
you know, sort of this great experience playing in the bigs with the Expos and, and the Marlins and the Tigers and obviously spend some time in the minor leagues like all baseball players do. Is there – do you have a go-to story that when someone says, hey, what was that memorable moment or that first, uh, you know, that first big league hit or, or something that happened maybe in the, in the dugout or in the clubhouse that, that resonates for you? Well, you know, I was one of those players, and you can look it up. Unfortunately, the Internet reveals everyone's statistics <laughs> these days. <laughs> so you'll see right away that I was not an offensive player. I was a defensive player. I was certainly a catcher behind the plate, and that was my strength. And that's the reason I got to the big leagues. In 1990, I played in the Florida State League at the West Palm Beach Expos, and my manager was Felipe Alou. Oh, well, wow, yeah. Know, yeah. When I, yeah, when I got my first major league call-up, it was in 93, and Felipe Alou was the manager of the Montreal Expos. So he's been instrumental, of course, in my career. He always felt like I was like having another coach on the field, the way I called the game and handled the pitching staff and did the things defensively. I was, that's who I was. I was a defensive guy and um, national league, Felipe liked to have three catchers. So he was the reason I got my first major league call up and I will never ever forget that because I wasn't that caliber player that, that was a lock to get to the big leagues. I mean, it's a long shot for everyone, but if I don't get that first major league call up, I'm not sure it ever happened. So I'm forever grateful to Felipe for believing in me and giving me that opportunity, which turned out to be four separate stints at the major league level. I always look back at my first major league hit, of course. it was, Or my debut first was in Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, very memorable. But my first major league hit was off Frank Tanana at the Big O oh, Stadium yeah. in Montreal. Of course, that I'll never forget. But then my first and only major league home run was at Tiger Stadium. And, and I grew up a Detroit Tigers fan, being right on the border there of Detroit. My older brothers used to take us to games all the time. I grew up diehard Tigers fan going to Tiger Stadium and then I got a chance to play for the Detroit Tigers at Tiger Stadium now that's what a dream come true is <laughs> and then you get, get chills my only, oh my gosh when I think of that building and it's not there anymore but I will never forget that building as special as it was and my first um and only major league home run was actually off Jeff Facero of the Seattle Mariners who was my teammate previously in Montreal so wow. so many funny links but I'll finish with this, probably, unfortunately, my most memorable story. And the reason I'm relating it is in spring training this year with the Blue Jays, I'm broadcasting a game, and Drew Hutchison was on the mound. And it was a young catcher catching when a runner stole. And he came up and fired the ball down to second base, and it hit Hutchison right in the head. And some of you may remember that on the highlights back in the spring. But I did that in my career when I first signed with the Montreal Expos. And back then, Canadians didn't have to go through the drafts. So it was just as a minor league free agent, so to speak, or as an amateur free agent. And I went straight to Instructional League. And when I went to Instructional League, Randy Johnson was there. And he had been a AAA superstar, top prospect, budding, almost getting to the major leagues. And he was catching on, or I was catching him on the backfield. We were playing the Twins. This is at Municipal Stadium in West Palm Beach, Florida. And the same thing happened. Runner took off to steal. I come up to fire the ball to second base right off the head of Randy Johnson. Wow. The ball ends up at the feet of our right fielder. He goes down like a ton of bricks, and I thought my career was over before I was even starting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, to be fair, so, I mean, Randy's not necessarily a short guy either. So, You know, everybody says that, but I still have to follow it up with it was a terrible throw. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, it, I laugh about it now because he was okay, but boy, yeah. boy you talk about how dangerous that could have been. Yeah, yeah. Was he the best pitcher you caught for? I have to say he's right up there. There's no question. I also had Pedro Martinez. Um, oh, wow. The Expos, uh, very briefly, but, you know, in spring trainings. And then I, yeah, the yeah. Season, it was a 95. Um, there are certain some good ones along the way. There's no question when I spent time, short time with the Marlins in 96. I had both Al Leiter and Kevin Brown. Uh, they were oh, yeah. two of the best. Kevin Brown at that time was phenomenal. 
so yeah, there was some some great memories over the years. There's no question. Was there a common denominator? I mean, you just mentioned four guys in Brown, Leiter, and as a Mets fan, I mean, Leiter was is certainly one of my guys. Uh, Pedro is another Mets fan. I mean, he was he was rocking our uniform for a little bit there as well. And then Randy Johnson. Was there a common denominator, mentally speaking, uh, on all four of those guys that you say, hey, that's that mental aspect, that attribute that made them great? Well, I think they're the bulldog mentality, and these guys were competitive. They were coming at you with their best stuff. And the thing is, I think you can have that attitude and confidence when you have the stuff that they have. These guys yeah. were all nasty. And, I mean, uh, I think, though, when you look at the greatest players in the game, they've all got that edge. They've all got that competitive fire. And I'm not saying others do not, but when you have the talent to back that up and then you have that, I think that's what makes them very special. And you look at some of the best pitchers today in the game. Look at Clayton Kershaw. I'm watching the highlights the other day, and he's running out infield hits, and he's advancing on balls in the dirt and sliding. I mean, this guy's a baseball player. It's so fun to watch. But that's, I think, especially two and on the mound, he's, he's a bulldog. He's got great stuff. There's no question. But then you put that mental attitude behind what he has, and I think that's what really separates those guys from others. Yeah, Joe, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Obviously, giving us a little taste of what's uh, what your your playing career was like, but obviously your story to get into the booth. I mean, I, I've heard so many stories over my career about how guys landed their jobs, and I've never heard anything like yours. So, um, really do appreciate you you giving us some time and and obviously sharing your story. And um, you know, I know that's not always easy for a lot of people that that had to face the tragedy that you had to face. So, um, the appreciation is very high. So, thank you again. Mike, it's my pleasure. It would have been very difficult that first year or two after, but I'm slowly uh, getting better at it without breaking down in conversation. So uh, I thank you. Really appreciate Joe spending some time with us and sharing his story. I know it can't be easy to revisit the passing of your child. I I, I can't even imagine uh, some of the feelings that, that must come up for Joe when he tells that story, but it seems like uh, he and his family have done a lot of things to sort of move on and, and obviously remember uh, the passing of his son. Once again, always appreciate you listening to the show. If you're if you're listening, make sure you subscribe as well on iTunes. Spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Yam. I continue to get messages from a lot of the folks that are listening to the show, which is always really cool for me. The Facebook page, Mike Yam. Instagram, at Mike underscore Yam as well. Just to run down some of the guests over the next few weeks, Curtis Conway is going to be stopping by the show. NFL veteran, All-American wide receiver at USC. Also the husband to Layla Ali. He's got some fantastic Muhammad Ali stories that are going to be popping up. Deuces Rogers, who's a good buddy of mine that I worked with at ESPN, he's going to be stopping on the show. He is uh, an anchor now in the city of Philadelphia. And, and also Olympics right around the corner. Jeremy Bloom, Samantha Peshik, a couple Olympic athletes. They're going to be stopping by the show in early August, uh, not to mention Yogi Roth. We're going to make sure that uh, my good friend Yogi, who, by the way, has a great podcast himself, Life Without Limits, if you want to check that out on iTunes. we got a slew of great guests that are coming up with some fantastic stories. So once again, continue to subscribe to us on iTunes, spread the word, and thanks again for listening.